Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's President, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Hey, welcome to the Benefit Roast. It is June 3rd, a new month of Benefit Roasting. I am Bob Graham, and with me is Roger Bain. And right now, Roger is buried under piles of papers and reports and Excel spreadsheets because he's been digging up some data. We've been talking about myths regarding self-funded insurance, and now we're going to shift today to talk about facts related to self-funded insurance. But first, let me do a little explaining for you. If you want to join our conversation, you can send us a note in the little chat box and we will respond to it as quickly as we can. You can also raise your hand in there and say that you want to come on air and we'll actually put you on air so you can be part of the discussion. As we've said before, the Benefit Roast is really designed to have a discussion, a dialogue. I tried to keep Roger from doing monologues and I know today it's going to be hard for him to do a monologue because he's buried under paperwork but I'm going to try to pull him out right now. You may hear some rustling of papers. Roger, why don't you come out and join us if you don't mind? I know you got lots of paperwork down there. Why don't you come out? Come on, Roger. I'm here. I'm here. Calm okay. down. All right, good. All right. Um, <laughs> I just want to make sure everybody can hear us. I Just looking at my screen, the indicators are a little different this week, so I just want to make sure that we are all good. Please, if you're out there and you can't hear us, just raise your hand on your little button. You can't on the hear side. us. Raise your hand. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> Let me know how that works for you, Roger. Right, you can't get there from here. Um, I will ask Dana to send a message to everyone that says if they can't hear, please chat box back to her. If you can send that in the chat box, and we should be good from there. I know there's a bunch of you out there. I want to make sure we all have it. Um, and that is the on, only challenge that I have. So thank you. Anyway, today's benefit roast, as Bob mentioned, we've been spending the last several weeks, it expanded actually from a couple of weeks to several weeks, talking about the myths and misconceptions about self-funding and what it means and how it works and a whole lot of things. And it kind of really highlights to us um, just how much misinformation or simply a lack of information is really out there for smaller employers. And I mean under 150 lives. I don't mean small like threes and fours, but even employers at 50 and 60 and 100 lives, I'm, I'm finding there's a whole lot of uh, people that don't know much about it. And, and just as a reference, we flew to Detroit last week to talk to some web developers. This company was 50, 55 employees. Average age is probably in the range of 30, which is about 10 years below the industry average, which should make them outrageously competitive. And they had no idea what we did or what self-funding was. And it was really enlightening to have a, a long discussion with them uh, about that. So that's kind of what's important for us today. Uh, we got to get past some of the misconceptions and, and let's talk about what's really going on out there because it just seems uh, really surprising. Well, Roger, let me give, give a little more context. We weren't even talking about self-funding benefits in those discussions. We were talking about redoing our website and how we wanted to present ourselves. 
And in the course of explaining what you do and what your company's focused on, the light bulb went off for the people that we were talking to in two separate discussions. And these were educated people. These were people who pay attention to what's going on. And even more interesting to me, they were people who spent some time in the last week or two researching you and your company and what you do. So it really struck us both as interesting that they still didn't understand the viability of this for a business like theirs. That's a good point, Bob. So, so that being the case, let's talk about some really simple matter-of-fact items that help lend a little bit of clarity, right? Uh, when we say the term self-funded, it seems to intimidate some people. When we say the term self-funded, people think it's something rare and unusual. And that was the case last week in Detroit as well. They had no idea that the majority of American workers are covered by a self-funded benefit plan. According to a report to Congress uh, on the annual report on self-insured group health plans, March of 2018, they referenced 136 million people covered under self-funded benefit plans. And when you look at Kaiser, Foundation research, they show a portion of Americans that are covered under other types of plans. And when you add up all the math, and somewhere in the range of 50 to 65 percent of American workers are covered by self-funded plans. So if that's the case, why so much mystery? And that's what I'm struggling to find out. Bob, from, well, from your posture, why, why wouldn't a person know about self-funding? Well, in my case, uh, my insurance is provided through my wife's organization, a university, and I have a card for my insurance that is from a Blue Cross carrier. So that would lead me to believe, logically, that Blue Cross is the insurance provider. However, I know that this system is self-funded. So sometimes we don't even know that our insurance is self-funded or our friends or our family members are using self-funded insurance because the same carriers who are doing the fully insured are also administering the self-funded, right? Well, you know, that's a good point when you bring that up. It's not, it's even Can you further. say that again, Roger? It's <laughs> oh, <I got laughs> not without <laughs> choking. Um, it's a good point, but, it, but you have to take that a step further now that I, you mentioned that because there are a whole lot of people that are covered in self-funded plans where the name of the network shows on the card and the name of the network is owned by a big insurance company. So people make that correlation. And, you know, we sell a whole lot of health plans that use the Cigna network, for example, and people think they're covered by Cigna. Well, and they are because that's who they're going to for the service in their mind. Right, exactly. To them, they're going to the Cigna network for service. But the reality is the employer is self-funding their benefit plans and, and using all of the things we've talked about over the last several weeks to, to provide that coverage. So it's really interesting. Uh, but that's kind of the threshold or the burden and the challenge for the self-funded industry is to really continue the enlightenment and the education of the employer population. You know, there are so many more small employers in this country than there are large employers, that it's a mission to reach all of them and make sure they have the information. So we look at that. The next thing we have to look at is that in the small group arena, somewhere between 2% and 10%, and these numbers are very difficult to get. 
Um, there, I've seen a few studies and you got to combine a few Google searches and do a little bit of work to really get to this number because groups under 100 employees that are self-funding their coverage are excluded from the requirement to file a Form 5500. This report to Congress that I cited for the first statistic is all about 5500 data and the research there. And when you get into that small group where 5500s aren't being filed, then you have a little bit of a different story in collecting the data. So we have to look at other sources. Can you define for us, Roger, you have on your slide here, people are looking at only two to 10% of small employers. Can you define what a small employer is for your purposes? Here? I, I would say for this discussion, we're talking about employers below 100 employees. Because when you get over 100, you're gonna need but a 5,500, we have that data. Not no. a sole proprietor. No, not a sole proprietor, not an individual. Let's say 15 to 100, maybe okay. five to 100. Okay. Enrolled employees in a health plan. So, so when we look at those, we're looking at such a small percentage of those as compared to large employers. Large employers, the vast majority of those are self-funded because it just makes sense. Um, well, and I would think the perception is a larger employer can afford the potential risk of this situation, whereas a small employer is probably thinking, I couldn't possibly have enough money to provide that kind of care to my employees. That's just impossible if I have 15 employees. Now, of course, you and I know because well, we've see, talked about and it. And that's the perception that we battle. Right. Because it's not really true that that small employer can't afford the risk because they're insuring the risk. They're still buying insurance. They're just buying it a different way. And that's really what small group self-funding is all about and what self-funding even in a large group is about to some extent. Even large employers use some insurance. I think you were citing some statistics in that report that we looked at, that was the report to Congress. In one case, it showed $59 billion worth of monies deposited in trust to pay for self-funded employer claims, and only $56 billion paid in claims. So that means in that segment, you're looking at $3 billion worth of claim savings that employers have deposited in the trust to pay claims and they haven't needed to pay and that money sits there to pay benefits next year and the year after. So uh, while these statistics are, are sometimes difficult to nail down, the, the obvious fact is the numbers work so well that the vast preponderance of large employers are self-funded because they have the staff to understand it and to do it. And we just need to help smaller employers understand it to move on to the next stage. And so far, we've done a relatively poor job of it. Well, I don't know about that, Roger. It's it, it certainly, I know you've spent a lot of time over the years educating insurance brokers all over the country. In fact, I think uh, next week you're doing some of that, so we actually won't be able to do an episode. And you're constantly explaining to people how this works. But I know from talking to brokers, this is complicated for them. This is not on first blush an easy thing to figure out. So some of that education, it, there's a lot going on here. And I think the the myths become reality because this isn't something people talk about. It's not like people say, hey, are you self-funded? Whereas I've had people say to me at parties, who's your insurance throw? Oh, is it a Blue Cross? Oh, is it a Cigna? Is it a United? Is it these things? I've never been in any discussion where someone says, hey, um, is your employer doing self-funded insurance or are you um, fully insured, right? Have you? Well, and that's true. And that's kind of what I mean. There are an awful lot of licensed professional insurance agents 
and brokers out there in the marketplace. In, in this country, probably nearly a million. Okay. At one time, Maryland had over 52,000 licensed agents in Maryland alone. Last number I saw was 920,000. That was about oh, five years okay. ago. Okay. Well, that's nearly a million, yeah. right? So I just so like if, to get you wrong. So, every if, chance I so get. let's say we have 400,000 professional independent insurance agents that work in the health insurance market and that are supposed to be selling the best value for the customers in health. And yet in the small employer marketplace, as low as 2% and in the best, most optimistic approach, 10% of small employers are self-funded. We're missing the boat somewhere. Somewhere there's a disconnect. And that's why I say to a great extent we failed and really educating the consumer. Can I ask you a question, Roger? Because because this is really this is important to me, and I want to I want to see if we can get through this. If I have a broker who's providing me with information about health benefits each year, and he or she is not talking about self-funded insurance, does that mean I have a bad broker, or does that mean something else? Because I I, I hear what we're saying each week, and I, I that keeps coming up, and I haven't asked you point blank. What does that really mean? If you are an employer that offers a group health insurance plan to more than five employees in America today, and your broker has not discussed self-funded benefit plans with you, then yes, you either need a new broker or you need to demand that that broker get on the ball because something is wrong. Well, walk me through get on the ball. You can help someone get on the ball, right? This is not, you're not making an edict that these insurance brokers are incapable of doing their job, right? You're, you're saying quite the opposite, correct? That's correct. I mean, we coach brokers all the time. We coach, we teach, we train, we walk through the entire process. We, we do tons of educational programs, as you know, Bob. Yeah. And the reality is... And your staff does as well. And our staff does as well. And so, I would say you hold hands. With a lot of brokers at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to help that broker get there. And that's exactly true. And so this is kind of my my concern is, you know, my firm is one of many around the country that does this type of work. Where are we on it? And why are we not accomplishing more? And it all comes back to my roots. You know, I got into this business in 1986. And I found a niche in this employer-funded health insurance or employer-sponsored health plans, whether it's fully insured or self-funded, didn't matter. But I had one singular objective, and that is to get as many people covered by health insurance for the best value that I could every single day. And that's what I do. And I only get paid when I succeed. So my mission has been to get people covered. And if to get people covered with the best value is the mission, and we only have 2 to 10% covered by self-funded, we're failing. We're just not making the numbers where they should be. So we need to wake up more small employers, or we need to wake up more brokers, or we have to do both. both. But we really have to shout from the mountaintops because I think we're missing the boat. 
you sound more frustrated today than I've ever heard you about this. I know you're frustrated about this every time you hear someone say that they went with fully insured and didn't even look at the possibility of self-funding. Well, it's even more frustrating to go out and, and speak to a peer, business owner, about unrelated things, and it comes up and they have no idea what we do because nobody for this 55 Life group has ever talked to them about self-funding. And they are in an industry that is a preferred risk category. We're talking about the folks in Detroit, the way yeah. folks we were talking about. You're talking to. about an industry that's in a preferred risk category, an age demographics that is outrageously low, a marital status that is lower than the norm from what we were indicated, which means they don't have a whole lot of dependents. They've got a bunch of young people, and there is no reason they should be paying community rates to our knowledge, for what they have. And there's certainly no reason they don't know better. They should know one way or another. And can you ballpark what kind of savings were po are possible for them? Just a range, you know, we, we talk about savings. If, if what I suspect is going on, no, I don't know, because we haven't pulled numbers right. yet, but we're going to talk to them about that. And hopefully we're in progress for that. If I suspect five to ten thousand dollars a month before we even talk about the benefits of self-funding i'd imagine they're paying so much more premium than they need to because of the market they're in that it's going to be an outrageous potential savings which i, I gotta say roger you know for small business owners you know you've got employees you, you're constantly trying to find ways to save money and deal with new things coming along that's a pretty big savings that's possible and i think it was really apparent to us when we were meeting with those people last week, we just couldn't believe really educated, smart business people. And this had never come to the table. Right. I think that's what's fueling your frustration today more than anything else. Well, I, I think that's it. And it's and it's not been just this week. No. You know, we've been doing these classes on self-funding since 1992, Bob. I mean, it's a long time. And so it's just amazing. But anyway, let's let's move on. The other fact, self-funded plans are governed by federal laws, not by state laws. Which Why means, does that matter? Well, it matters a lot because you don't have state insurance laws governing all of your different benefit plans. You can build a benefit plan and, uh, and brokers can deliver benefit plans that are more standard. You know, and some brokers probably don't care. If you're in the middle of Kansas, you're only covering people in Kansas for the most part, right? But if you're in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, you can have employers in Virginia, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Pennsylvania. And all those jurisdictions have all different sets of state laws. They have different state insurance exchanges under the Obamacare legislation. So you've got the exchange, you've got off exchange, you've got five sets. You've got basically potentially, if you think about it, you've got the individual exchange, you got the group exchange, you got the large group market, and you have self-funded, and you have five jurisdictions, which means you have 22 sets of regulations to deal with. And you could have this where any city or business is located near state exactly. lines, right? Uh, what, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, right? right? Right. But if you but if you write a self-funded benefit plan, you can use the same benefit plan nationwide 
in all of the clients. You can you can do whatever you need to do. You have a standardized set of rules and regulations that just make it so much more practical. It's actually simpler for an employer in many respects. And so it's it's just challenging to see that we're still fighting that battle. So that's what we need to continue to work on throughout the process. So okay, what is, now what's it all mean, so, Roger? So what does it mean to, to me? What does it mean to you out there listening? Um, there is, there's a lot. We mentioned that about 2 to 10% optimistically, small employers are covered by a self-funded benefit plan. I've been in this market now for 25 plus years in doing self-funding. And I can tell you that almost 40% of small employers should be self-funded. Not could be, might be, maybe ought to consider. 40% of them should be self-funded. This is based on your experience, right? This, this is based this on is real you. live experience, on quote volume and numbers and, and everything we get in realistically 40% of them should be self-funded instead of fully insured, meaning they would have comparable or better benefits for less money for their employees. And that's a pretty big should, in my opinion, right? So, so that's kind of what it boils down to. If you're not self-funding, the question is why? Yes, it's true. There's about 60% of small employers that maybe shouldn't be. We have to look at that and see. You know, sometimes it's a high risk element or a, or a location element or who knows what that just makes it impractical for them. But in reality, location is probably a misspeak because that wouldn't be an issue. But there's just too many, too many reasons to be self-funded. So that we have to look at. So if we're thinking about, Roger, a 40 percent chance of saving big money, why would you not do it? If someone said to me, hey, you could save thousands of dollars and you have a four in 10 chance, I would invest my time in doing the paperwork necessary to go through that process. And that's not an onerous task, right? I heard you explain to this group up in Detroit last week it, it in a new way, and it didn't seem like they were going to spend four days with the auditors and the underwriters and the accountants and the tax preparers and the legal department and all that. That's not what we're talking about, right? No, Bob. I mean, the, the reality is that every employer every year goes through this enrollment process and shopping their health insurance, making sure everybody's got all their forms in, communicating any changes in the plan, communicating the new rates and the new payroll deductions and all of that. Why would they go through all of that energy without first making sure they're offering the best value you know it's part of the equation and so if you're going to do all that work let's do it right let's do it completely let's do it thoroughly so that we can really deliver the best solution and so that's kind of what we're dealing with self-funded plans are standardized they have more efficiency than your typical insurance company overhead you have some real nice advantages there that can help drive savings to the employer and leave them with extra money in their pocket and that's what most small employers want. Well, I would think for most small employers, this is a way to really uh, increase their own paycheck because often, you know, you know, you're a small business owner. And when things don't work out the way you expected, the first person to lose a, uh, a salary is the owner. So to well, me, that's... if you can save this money, this might be a way for an employer to actually 
gain some money in the equation. You know, that, it, that's very true, Bob, that the there's there's number one thing is you get business owners that very well could be using this to support the success of the operation as defined by their ability to make a living and to be profitable and continue employing those people. So that's one base element. But then let's take that to another level, though. Many of these small employers have been in business a long time, are very successful, aren't going anywhere, are making a big wage. And whether they do their group health insurance through a fully insured plan or through a self-funded plan, it's not going to change the brand of scotch they buy this week. Okay, they're going to drink the same liquor. Roger, they're going to buy the good beer. Alcohol, I beg you. I'm just telling you. My my point is, my point is, there's a higher purpose at some point. Okay. And that higher purpose isn't just survival, but it's also about embracing the population of your employees as your own, so that they're all part of the family. They all have a better deal. And they're all happier in their work site every day. I think the guy from Virgin Airlines. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. but You mean Richard Branson? Yeah, Richard Branson was credited on social media one day with a saying that says, the customer's not always right or don't take care of your customer first. He said, you take care of your employees first. And then they, in turn, will take care of your customers properly. Well, that's kind of the point we're getting to. You know, benefits today are ugly scenario in way too many cases. So if we can achieve a means to provide better benefits for less money, employees will embrace that. They will feel that. They will recognize that. And they will be happier, more successful employees, creating a happier, more successful employer. And and so it's not just about hiring and retaining your best employees. You know, I, I get tired of that old talk that you got to have benefits to hire and retain the best employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's not about hiring and retaining. It's about excellence. It's about achieving a level of happiness and success and comfort in your group of employees so that they are thrilled to work with you and go out and do the things they need to do to make your business successful. And we miss sight of that way too often. And so that's a real important piece. So, Roger, tell us the easiest way that we can move forward. So I'm a small business owner. I'm not really sure if my broker's ever talked to me about this or my broker has and he's dismissed it. I'm, you, you've convinced me. It's worth my time to pursue this. How can someone take that first step? Well, Bob, what I would tell you is that if your broker has not discussed self-funding with you, there was a day when I would say, ask your broker about it. And I've given up on saying that because a broker that's not comfortable with it is going to find an excuse for you not to be there. So what I would say to you. And we know this anecdotally. I know this factually. Okay. If, in fact, your broker is not discussed self-funded with you and you have more than five employees covered on your group health plan, Mm -hmm. then you need to demand that 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 broker talk to us today and talk to you jointly. So if the three of us can engage in a conversation, we can provide the coaching necessary to help you and your broker or your broker and their customer get over the hurdle of at least knowing. Back to Dan Singles quote three weeks ago, right? Four weeks ago. Bottom line is not every employer is right for self-funded. 
but every employer has the right to know if they deserve a better deal. And there's no obligation in that initial discussion. You're not locked into anything. So that well, there's no obligation a, anywhere, this is a really. I mean, a, a, an opportunity to discover. Yeah, there's actually no obligation throughout the whole process. The bottom line is, if if you don't find a great solution that makes better sense, then you don't find a solution that makes better sense. But I'm comfortable that 40% of you will. I just think and that's it's just funny. how big it is. I think it's funny as we talk about this, how many people I know that will go to their accountant or tax preparer four or five times a year to find a way to shave $200, $600, $1,000. Yet what you're describing here and what we found in Detroit last week is tens of some thousands of dollars right there on the table waiting every and day. It's not being done. It, it's it's really amazing when you put it in that perspective, and it's and it's absolutely. I didn't true. overstate it, did I? No, no, not at all. I mean, you've okay. got employers that will shop for the most inexpensive toilet paper for their office right. building, and yet are going to leave tens of thousands of dollars on the table when it comes to their benefit plans just because their broker hasn't talked to them about it, or it sounds a little bit more challenging to think about. Yep, Costco you know. to get the coffee. Because because you can get 10 pounds for the price of five. Right. But you won't do this, which will save you. Look, I've, I've made the mistake myself, right? I've driven to Sam's Club to pick up, to pick up water, only. to pick up water for the water cooler here instead of paying somebody to deliver it. <laughs> now, God help me why I would do that in today's world when you have so many different ways to get it there so much more conveniently and we can focus on our business. But that's what we do sometimes as entrepreneurs. We kind of make that decision. We tend to be very, very risk tolerant, but also very prudent. And so this is kind of what's missing in this equation. All of those things that itemize and characterize a small employer and an entrepreneur, when that entrepreneur doesn't even know about self-funded benefit plans, there's a breakdown in that equation. And so for the brokers on the call today, and there's a bunch of you out there, for the brokers on the call, educate your customers or your potential customers, and believe me, they will appreciate it and become your clients. And that's really what you want. You don't just want customers, you want clients. You want partners in your business, and you want to partner with them to get a better deal, and it's all at your fingertips. So... That's it the best thing I can do. Interesting to me that you could go out if you're a broker and talk to potential clients and explain this to them. Being the person who comes in and talks to them about saving a huge chunk of money to provide better benefits, that's a pretty winning formula from a marketing message. That gets you in the door in a way that copier people do not get in the door. You know, uh, Cell phone service providers can't get in the door. They're not talking in these numbers. They're not talking in this equation. So to me, it's it's really, it's staggering to me. I thought when we started this discussion today, I understood the breadth of this whole situation. But now I'm really starting to realize it's completely upside down. It, it really makes is. no sense. It really is. It's amazing. So anyway, I think that's about all. And I don't see any more questions on the screen for us to address, Bob. No, so what I'm going to remind all of our participants is the link on the bottom of your screen today. And Dana will most likely, if she's still out here listening, she's going to send the link to you in your chat box. Remember, we all want you to have a nice cup of coffee on hand.
for, for our benefit roast each week. If you don't drink coffee in the afternoon, you can get an iced coffee or an iced tea or something else in the afternoon, or you can have a cup of coffee in the morning on us. But make sure you fill out the form on that link so we can get you your $5 coupon. And that $5 coupon is good for a cup a of cu coffee anywhere you want to buy. Okay. There you go. And if you want to switch to iced tea, whatever, you can do that. We'll surprise you with the nature of the coupon okay. when you get it in the mail. Uh, but anyway, I just want to thank you all for being here. Make sure you fill out that link. Because give uh, give us your contact. It's truly worth $5, and it's a real basic form, and we're off to the races. Share your contact information one more time for these people who uh, sense your frustration and want to help you change the equation. Right. My name is Roger Bain, and my telephone number is 443-275-7412. That's 443-275-7412. I look forward to talking to any of you and all of you uh, whenever you can. And uh, I'll look forward to talking. Now, remember, next week we're traveling, doing some of these educational and training classes. So we're not going to be staffed to conduct the benefit roast, but we will be back in the following Monday and many Mondays afterward. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.